0: We've chosen the most popular interviews for you to select the Listener's Choice winner. If you're not sure how the Listener's Choice competition works, have a look at horsechats.com slash choice for the rules and the leaderboard. Today's chat's been brought to you by International Horse College. We have a mission to improve the welfare of horses throughout the world through the safe education of riders, handlers and trainers. And that's what these chats are all about. Registered Training Organisation 31352. Today's guest is Dinah Fleming. Dinah's come from a dressage, show jumping and eventing background. She's also been a FEI three-day event rider and is now a National Dressage Judge. How are you today, Dinah?
1: I'm good, thanks, Glenys I'd like to just sort of welcome all your listeners as well. Thank you, thank you.
0: Diana, normally we start the interview off with a favourite quote, which you could have as an inspirational quote or something that you use when you're teaching. What have you got for us today?
1: From my experience over my riding career, I tend to favour the quote that a young horse or green horse should always be ridden by an experienced rider. I've seen over the time very badly mismatched horse-rider combinations come through my yard and asking me to fix problems of horses that are actually rider-related because the rider isn't experienced enough to take on a young horse. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And that is a real problem, and I don't think people understand the importance. With my own experience, as a child, I had two very solid, good school horses to ride, and at 12 years of age, my mother gave me a pony that I had to train myself. And from there on in, I've, I've always trained my own horses and I've gone through many, many horses and trained them up to a high level of competition. But I think that for anyone out there that wants to take up riding or is an inexperienced rider, they really must find, and and, and to make riding enjoyable, they must find something that's not a green or young horse.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm. And obviously the couple of schoolmasters that you had early on really have put you in good stead then for going on and training your own horses.
1: Yeah. The best teacher for any rider is a trained horse. Yeah. Yep. You can't beat it. You can't beat it. It gives the rider a feel. It gives the rider a confidence. And the horse. Is forgiving. It makes up for your mistakes while you're learning and it's not going to try and dump you or do anything nasty because it is a forgiving horse and mm. they are worth gold, those sort of horses. Yep,
0: yeah. Now you said your mother got you a horse. Are you from a horsey family or what are your first memories?
1: Yeah, well, I grew up on a wet sheep farm in WA, yep. um, quite a long way out of Perth. My mother was a breeder of Welsh Mountain and Australian ponies and my father bred some thoroughbreds for racing so my early memories were well, horses were always around us all the time so that was really how my first introduction to horses and my first pony which was a little schoolmaster was a Shetland pony and it was a real ripper mm. and it it was named was giggy and i remember the first my, as you say first memory was i was I don't even know how old I was. I must have been <laughs> tiny because the pony's tiny. I had to get a wooden chair to mount up on Gigi, mm-hmm. And I rammed it into Gigi's tummy and I got up and I was very pleased m- with myself because that's the first thing I can ever remember <laughs> me doing on my own with a horse. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so you would imagine how small I would have been. I'm not a very tall person anyway. But very <laughs> very tall
0: <again. laughs> yeah, no, that's, that's lovely. But, the sort of thing that would yeah. be really cute to video. But probably you didn't get a video of it in those days. I know.
1: No, there was nothing around in those days at all. Yeah, yeah.
0: Oh that's good. That's good. So going on from there, you know, because I think you said you're eleven when you got a a horse to do some training, did you do anything from school to be you know, did you go straight in and decide that you were going to become a coach and you know, going to Um, what we what was I mean,
1: I went on and I just sort of always had dad's horses off the track we would change into jumping horses or show horses or uh-huh. something like that as teenagers take them to the royal show win ribbons or, you know champions and things like that and mum always said to us that we had to have a career a financial background and that the horses were secondary to our career so I was like many, many young people having to juggle a career and also be a competition rider and train horses. Mm-hmm. So it was always cash and time poor because you always want the best for your horse first before yourself. Yes. And um, that was really how I juggled my coaching. I coached on the weekends at Pony Club to help pay for my horses. Mm-hmm. I had my career, became a high school teacher and then later on I worked in health. So I always had a career backing up so that I could actually provide for my horses and I always had my horses on adjustment, Mm -hmm, yeah. So it was a juggle.
0: It's interesting. You know, I've heard stories where people take a year off and never go back to uni or go to uni and never actually do what they meant, have a year off after uni and never actually go back or people that have gone to uni and dropped out and... You know, I think you always, <laughs> if you've got horses, you always manage to find a way though, don't you? You know, you always yeah, make sure.
1: Think, yeah. Yeah, I think it's easier now because there is more opportunities for horse coaches around now. There wasn't yeah. really in the old days when we were coming through that most of the people who rode were very, most of them were pretty good riders and then not a lot of people had coaching mm. unless they came from overseas or somewhere like that mm. or the national coach from Equestrian Australia came to visit WA. So there wasn't, unless you're in a riding school, there wasn't private coaching as such or very much of that going on.
0: Yes, so yes, you really yes. Have a line, I, I think course. even without coaching, you know, I think that there's a lot more opportunities within the horse industry. as what they... You know, than they ever were, definitely. and it doesn't mean yeah. that you have to leave school and go straight away and work no, in the stables. There's a lot more, you know, in the complementary industries where you need to have that horse background, horse knowledge, but you also might need to have a bit of study in other areas as well.
1: Oh, definitely, yeah, yeah. and I mean that's sort of really instilled in us all the time. And mm-hmm. um, but you know, it was probably good. It was good in the way because in I don't think I would have been able to succeed as well as I did without actually having a a job as well, financially anyway. yeah, Mm. yeah.
0: All right. Now, if people are working in the horse industry, because people do, and they they say, no, that's all I want to do, and they're quite happy to do that, what sort of skills or um, core skills or character traits do you think they need? and even yourself who's had a career with horses even though you've had a yeah. you know you've had a full-time job and a part-time job what do you think that you need to go on and, and be successful in the horse industry and to continue in the horse industry because it's well, a lifelong it, you, thing you know it's not yeah, just I mean, something that you do not, well some sometimes people do it for a sport for a year or two but for people who are real professionals and real horse people stay in it their whole lives
1: yeah you have to learn From people you respect, Mm -hmm. and people that treat horses well, and observe, and never ever say my ways better. I just try and be a sponge and and absorb. And I can be critical about in my thinking about whether or not I approve this way or that way, but I don't actually say it. If I'm working in some, I used to work in in stables before, and I worked in the UK for six months, and. It was a really good experience because I would do things totally differently but it doesn't mean to say that my way is better than their way. You do learn different ways of doing things but I think understanding horse psychology is is one of the biggest things that horse people need to learn and it's something you can't get from a book. You can read it, you can go to a little weekend clinic or a week clinic but only living and breathing with horses can you actually get the feel of understanding their psychology And, and that. Is probably the most important thing, and I think that's the thing that's lacking in horse people today. Mm-hmm. It's trying to read, read, and it's reading body language of horses, and then there's a lot of signals they give off without doing anything. You know, you can tell what mood they're in. Yep. And you yep. being a horse person, you'd understand that
0: too. Sure, sure. Yeah. And I think you're right. I think you can read a bit in books. You can do a bit, but the more that you're with them, the more that you work them, the more that you train them, the more you interact with them, the more you learn. Yeah. Yep, yeah.
1: And I don't follow anyone's particular teachings either. I mean, I pick out bits from different people who I think, well, that was a good idea and that was a good idea, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but I don't actually become a disciple of any one person because not one person has that whole over-educational knowledge of a horse And training horses is the same, you know, when you're sitting on their backs, you know, you've got to pick ideas from lots of different people if you're having a training problem.
0: Yeah, yeah. And I think too, um, you know, people who've got a system and got an idea, they they know that this system doing it this way is going to work with one horse, but it's not going to turn around and work with another horse. It's not going to work no. with the, the same, exactly, using exactly the same aid, exactly the same signal. Exactly. It's not going to work yeah. every Let's, single time for yep. every single horse. Yep.
1: You understand what I'm saying. Yeah, that's sure. exactly what I mean. For sure.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Who's influenced you? You know, you've talked about not having one system, but you've still picked up ideas from different people. Yeah.
1: Who are those people? Well- I would have to say that the bulk of my horse knowledge was learnt from my mother. Mm-hmm. She was very young and went to live with my uncle in the country, I mean her uncle, sorry, mm-hmm. and he had Clydesdale horses and he still worked the farm and so therefore my mother's still alive and she's well into her 90s now. She learnt a lot about horses, just handling horses with her uncle and, you know, with the Clydesdales. And then when she got married, she went and trained or every time Carl Joranek came to Australia, yes. or he came to Australia, I think after World War II, didn't he? Yes. Yeah. And he's only just passed away, I believe, last year. He, he followed the German classical training system and my mother was very much an advocate for that. Mm-hmm. And she used to go to his clinics and she loved them and she just said that this is the way she wants to train horses. And that's what she sort of instilled in us. And then later on, Franz Moringa used to come to WA as well. Mm-hmm. And so my mother used to go and sit and watch his lectures. And my two older sisters would, were allowed to attend because I was too young. Okay. They attended his his clinics and they were here. I think he was here for weeks on end. Yeah. And he followed the same writing and training principles as Kalman Juranax. So mum was very happy. And mm-hmm. I used to sit and listen to his lectures and just sort of, Was mind blowing if you've ever had this kind of knowledge that man had. He was before his time in WA in Australia really, Mm. and she also, when we were kids, used to. Of read Henry Wynne Malan and, and a lot of the old books and sit there and teach us from the book <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. because there was no coaches, there was no in the country, there's no coaches, there was no vets. And she had to actually get the Horace Hayes veterinary notes for horse owners for some of her veterinary treatments, which yep. were pretty, pretty uh, archaic now, but you know, basically, most of them worked. <laughs> yes, yes, But anything obviously more serious, we'd lose the horse. But yeah, that, that would be mum I would say. And I thought of that hard and I think she had the greatest influence in my knowledge
0: mm-hmm. about horses.
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: But then the people that she studied from too, you know, they've they've obviously had that influence that's come back through, you know, like Carl and Franz and even yeah, I mean, even that's reading. Solid. Yeah. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah, yeah solid, yeah. solid background. Yeah. And, you know, obviously that training is very old. Well, I say it old-fashioned because people aren't patient enough anymore to want to train that way. They want to have the quick results. They want to use a lot of mechanical devices to round a horse up or engage a horse and things like that. Whereas horses need time, like a human, any athlete, to develop muscular strength and um, suppleness and all of that. And it doesn't happen in in just a year or two years. <laughs> mm, mm, mm. So, I, yeah. I think you've
0: got to have a bit of faith in humans. There are still people who are prepared to put the time and effort in, but I do see yeah. the, the change that there's there's... Quick results. Someone promoting quick results. That's normally what yeah, people.
1: Yeah, it's a society, yeah. really, isn't yep, it? Everyone yep. wants everything quickly. They don't Some, want to wait for anything. Sometimes oh. they,
0: they say, right, well, well, I've tried the quick results way. Now I'm ready pre- yeah, to prepare yeah. to put the time and the effort and the work into it.
1: Yep. Right. and I mean, I I have a lot of well, the students I do teach, mm-hmm. I have students that leave me because I'm too slow in developing where they want to go, Mm -hmm. but the students that stay with me understand and I have to keep on saying you're not ready to go to that next level. Mm -hmm. You've got to get the groundwork done first Mm -hmm. because if you don't have the groundwork, it'll show up at at two levels above. Mm -hmm. You know, the ones that don't like it, they leave, which they're right. They pay me for my advice and the ones that want to stay, they get the, uh, you know, the benefit.
0: There, yeah, mm. and I think that's it. If they're getting the benefit getting the long-term results, yeah. that's what you're looking that's at.
1: That's right.
0: Yeah. yeah, yeah. What about horses who've influenced you?
1: Well, they always say that you only ever in your lifetime have a handful of good horses mm-hmm. and not my first pony I trained, the second pony I trained. Um, it was a very good little pony. He was half thoroughbred, half Welsh, I think. He was about nearly 14 hands. And he became a super little horse all rounder. He became a world show champion in the show ring, and he also went on and had a stellar career with the next rider after me. Mm-hmm. He was probably one of the first ones, and he was an absolute gem. Then we had another. I had another horse called Blue Poles. And that was, he was actually born the same year as Gough Whitlam bought the Blue Poles painting. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's why his made yep, it. Yep. And we were, we were selected to go to the Gawler three-day event and represent WA in the teams competition. And mm. unfortunately, because I was a school teacher, I applied for time off and <sighs> they said I, I would lose my position if I left it's not good. Uh, yeah. and went. Mm, so... Yeah. In those, that was the era of the times. Uh, employers didn't allow you to take time off for sport, whereas now they do it all the time. They let people off and think it's wonderful yeah, yeah. Um, that they've got a person that's in their team, their staff team that actually can do all these sporting achievements. So he ended up going really well in WA, but I didn't actually get to Gawler and I was that was pretty gut-wrenching. Yeah. And then probably my last, venting horse was he and I represented Australia on two occasions in WA at two three-day events it was the Narragin three-day event and the Gawler not Gawler sorry the Narragin the Fairbridge three-day event and we were competing against three Asian teams and but the Asians were obviously on borrowed horses mm-hmm. and on both occasions the Australian team won which was I was lucky I was in both team at both times, okay. Okay, <laughs> well, we, well, did about, have, we did have an advantage because we're riding our
0: own horses, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What about the horse you've got now? The one that you're, um, I think yeah. you've yeah, competing well, um, advanced training, Priest and George, yeah.
1: Well, he's actually a dressage pony, okay. And I bred him and I have trained him up to that level now, yep. He's not, hasn't been easy because he's a, he's an actual crossbred, um, he's a half thoroughbred, half quarter no, quarter thoroughbred, quarter Arabian caught a warm blood and caught a pony. So it's been a real mixture and I uh he has a little bit of an attitude and he looks like a bit, I always call him the pit pony because he looks like he should be pulling a pit, being <laughs> in the coal pits. <laughs> but he's really coming to hand well and he's developing into a nice one. Well, he's about 14 too, just in that pony height size. Mm-hmm. And the other two warm bloods I've got which are competing, one's working elementary, the other one's novice, and my goal will be to hopefully get them to the National Dressage Championships this year. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay,
0: mm. what's been your proudest moment?
1: Well, I was a member of Pony Club in WA and I actually rode for Australia in the Pony Club Overseas Competition in South Africa against five other nations. We were riding in Johannesburg in South Africa and we, Australia, we were on borrowed horses and we won the inter team show jumping competition. Oh, good. And it was a course that looked very much like the Hickstead show jumping courses. It's yep. had a lot of undulating country, uh-huh. up and down, jumps on hills and going through water. And the fences were really quite high for a pony club because they were a metre 30 because mm-hmm. we weren't just riding at pony club height. We were riding against all the other juniors in South Africa at the time. So it was quite a big testing course and on borrowed horses, it was, it was a real challenge. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So that was probably one of them. Um, the other highlight would be that, work presenting Australia in those two three-day events in Narragin and Fairbridge. Yeah.
0: Okay. Okay.
1: Yeah.
0: All right. Now, what's been your biggest challenge?
1: I've had some very difficult horses. Mm-hmm. I think when I I had broken in horses and I had one I broke in and most of them I've broken in successfully and this was obviously when I was younger but this particular one I didn't feel confident about what was going on and I had to admit that the horse had the better of me mm-hmm. and I wasn't prepared to push him through a barrier that I knew he had to go through and rather than making excuses for his behaviour, I said I need someone better to get on this horse
0: okay.
1: than that. Okay. And I found well found, I located a man that was a rodeo rider who didn't have any problem with a horse bucking or jumping sideways or doing whatever he might do. Yes. And he came up and spent two hours on the farm riding this horse and the horse came back dripping wet and he said, I've taken it through the dams, I've taken it all over the farm. And I got on that horse and I continued on its career and it ended up jumping croissants. Oh, and isn't it was that great? it was a,
0: a Yeah.
1: It was a sister. But I knew I had met, he'd met my challenge. I couldn't. I knew until that time. Yep. And he yep. could have you could have persevered with it. Yeah. But you, you, when you need help, you've got to take it. Yes. You know, you've and, really and got you've to, go to recognize
0: someone Yeah, recognise it. Yeah. Recognise it and then it. do something about yep. it. Yep.
1: Yeah, do something about it and, yeah. and I couldn't believe just one ride would do that because quite often it might take a longer time than that mm. but he put a stock saddle on because yep. <laughs> yep. he knew the horse. I told him yep. the horse was easy yep. and, yeah, no, he came back and it was just the super horse and I actually had to sell him to go overseas because I needed to fund my overseas trips. so I sold him to go overseas, mm. Mm. yeah. Mm. Okay. So that would probably be my, one of my biggest challenges. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
0: All right, now you're riding a few horses professionally now. You've got owners paying you to ride their horses, is that right?
1: That's right. Yeah. I, I own one outright myself and the other three are one, two are part-owned and one's mm. fully owned by um, other people.
0: Tell me a bit about it because people say, look, I, I'd love to ride more horses, I haven't, I've not got the time, I don't have the money to pay for it, you know, for lots of different reasons. They want someone to own the horse and pay for their riding or pay for the horse's expenses but tell me a bit about riding for owners and what sort of responsibility it is
1: i think first of all for an owner to select you as their rider it's Mm -hmm. a great honor yep it also means they trust you yes they trust you with their horse and they trust your judgment and i have Wonderful owners that do not interfere. Mm-hmm. They we discuss the horse's plan and when it's going to compete and what it's going to do and at what level, yep. and they never interfere. And they, I've never had one. And you know, I've had had these owners for several years, and they just say they trust my opinion. I don't put the horses in events that I don't think they are going to, are ready for. Mm-hmm. So we usually always come home with ribbons or success with the horses. They don't say, oh, well, this horse is ready to do medium when well, it's not really ready. And so the owners get a great pleasure out of that, but the trust is really is building a trust and it is a hard thing to do. And, I mean, it's not just your success, it's how you handle the horses because they love their horses like we do mm. and you have to treat their horses like your own. So, yeah, it's, it's a line of business that is available now, mm-hmm. but I, it is a, a really good relationship you have to have with the owners. Yep, yep. I have had one owner that always questioned my professionalism and that one didn't work mm. and that might mm. happen. I just had to say I love the awesome, horse but I had to let it go. Yeah. Because yeah, yeah. I was always being questioned, and, and I don't have to prove myself. I, mm. I've proved myself to myself about mm. what I can do and what I can achieve. And if they question your professionalism, then it's time for the horse to move on.
0: Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I think that's a case. And I think that's not just a case with owners. You know, sometimes there's students who are better off with another coach, yeah. are better off with someone else.
1: Definitely. Yeah. 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 And even right. if you've got staff in your yard that that question the way you do things, that yeah. you move them on because they can go and find out how rough it is out in someone else's <laughs> table.
0: Yes, yep, yeah. yep. Yeah. All yeah. right, now you're a national dressage judge. What do you think is a common challenge that dressage riders have? You know, just something that's that you may have seen a bit more recently within your judging and also how to fix it? You know, just something where people are just throwing away marks or so, something that they're not doing their training Have you got something to say about that?
1: I think people do want to rush their horses up the grades and although they may be doing a shoulder in, it's not really a shoulder in, it's a Mm -hmm. shoulder fall, And you have to mark them down and the coach, the comments, whatever you say on your, your... Judge's sheet. Well, you always know it's going to go back to the coach, and so as it hopefully, should. as it should, yeah, yep. And you're hopefully you're sending a message to their coach as well as to the rider that the horse needs more suppleness, or more throughness, or, or better lateral submission, or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. Because I get that on my sheets too, mm-hmm. and so therefore, I think. There's a big gap between novice and elementary level in in Australia and people sort of go really well in novice and all of a sudden they find, oh, shivers, I've got to do all this lateral work they've never practised before. So I think people have to prepare themselves better. A lot of horses don't know how to stretch and don't know how to work over the back and whether or not it's tension in an arena or in the show arena or the competition arena or whether they're not practicing it at home, mm-hmm. I don't know, but you often see the free walk on the long rein, horses don't know how to stretch, and you often see in the trot, stretch circle, horses don't know how to stretch, and they're both double marks. They're yes, they're coefficient, marks. that's yeah. right. Yep. Yeah, yep. so you've really got to work on those ones. Yes. And even even if you do it really well at home, it's no guarantee you're going to do it well when you go <laughs> out. <laughs> yep, yep. But if you're training at home, you've got a better chance then of it succeeding when you go out. Yeah, so that would be my, my for my my biggest tip of people to really work on those those things. Yeah. Okay. Accuracy okay. is obviously an inexperienced rider. Yes. Um, but the the stretch trot circle and the walk free walk is is really a training issue.
0: Yeah, and it's not just the marks for that test and that level because that's going to then have as they sort of go up through the grades, it's going to come back again. You know, it's, it I mean, that's just giving them a, them
1: in, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. If, if for the sure. horse is not through those movements and doesn't mm. know how to work over the back, then it will get stuck in the high levels for sure. Yep, yep. Yeah.
0: Oh, hang on a sec. Let me interrupt to let people know about the horse industry qualifications at onlinehorsecollege.com. If you have a look at the flexible options, there's online theory and the practical components can be completed by video or with a qualified expert in your area. That website, again, is onlinehorsecollege.com. Okay, thanks. All right, then, now have you got a book that's been influential for you, one that you can recommend for our listeners? I have. um,
1: Because I, I follow the German training system, I've got two books that I would probably recommend for people and one is the principles of riding which is the official handbook of the german equestrian federation it's a really good good section on the horse behavior it has a really good section on well the whole book is just great but i'm just saying that you know for the people who are just getting out and who are how to care for your horse equipment how to fit equipment correctly all of that stuff which People tend not to know anymore or they get different advice and I just think that this book is really thorough in that area. The other one is another German book. It's The Biomechanical Basics of Classical Riding by Dr. Thomas Ritter. Now, he is also German and he focuses on the dressage training basically following the equine biomechanics. So confirmation: if your horse has got a confirmation problem, then you need to learn how to train it correctly to overcome that confirmation problem so therefore you can build the correct muscles in another area so it can be, you know, sort of compensated. Yep, yep. And I find that really good because not all horses are built the same way and (laughs) you've got to look at the biomechanics of your horse and say, oh, okay, well... This one's really thick in the gullet and thicken the neck. I'm going to have to try and get the muscle underneath the neck soft and the the crest built up and Mm -hmm. all of that sort of stuff. And that that follows those principles. So they're two books I recommend, yeah.
0: Okay, okay. All right, now what are you looking forward to at the moment? What does your future hold? You've talked about the horse that you're ready to go, or Pre-St. George, but is there, what others? What else? Have you got students coming on?
1: I've got um, well, I've got many, stu- I've got a few students. I've got a couple that I want to go competitive next year. They've I've kept them in participant this year and mm-hmm. twenty eighteen. They're going to start competitive. One's got a very nice big Frisian, papa Frisian, which not many dressage horses are Frisian, but she's doing a super job. And she actually bought this horse from the eastern states and had to do a lot of undoing because it had been, to, in my opinion, it had been blocked. So she, she's done a great job of that. And another girl who has starting her competitive season next year will be, um, she's on a, a nice little crossbred mare that's Pinto, okay. but it's got some thoroughbred in it. And see, I'm not prejudiced about which horses <laughs> so I quite I quite like the different breeds of horses that come through. Um, and she will be competing in her um, competitive classes next year, maybe prelim or novice. Okay, so, okay, good. That, that too, I get jumped in mind. Yep. Yeah,
0: yeah. All right. Now, how can people contact you?
1: Oh, my property is Nightwood Training Centre. Mm-hmm. I have a Facebook page and I have my details on the Facebook page. I showcase my own horses there but also showcase all my students on there, that all their successes and all their hardships. We share it all together. <laughs> okay. And... That's that sort of, because um, it's not all easy going, there's lots of bumps in the roads, so and yep. we share our bumps as well as our highlights and that's really probably the best way. I don't have a website um, but it's just a Facebook page.
0: Okay, and that Nightwood Training Centre is Nightwood with a K-N-I-G-H-T, yeah. isn't it? Yep, yep.
1: All in and one word, yeah.
0: We'll put those details on your page at horsechats.com slash Dinah Fleming. Okay, thank you. Yep. Yeah, that's okay, Diana. Look, um, yeah, really good talking to you today. I've enjoyed talking to you, you know, your early childhood, the um, early memories you would have had of um, France Maringa and, um,
1: yeah, you know, just yeah. sort of
0: going through to what you're doing now. It's been very good. Okay. Thank so you, thanks, Yeah. Thanks for talking to us okay. today and hope to talk to yeah. you again sometime soon. Okay
1: then.
0: Thank you. bye Bye. Bye. If you've enjoyed this chat, then please comment, rate and subscribe.